In the previous lesson, we discussed the spiritual significance of the holiday of Passover, of Pesach. And specifically, we went into the spiritual significance of the laws pertaining to Chometz. One of the major laws in connection to Pesach is that we're not allowed to eat or possess Chometz, leavened bread. And this we have to get rid of before the holiday of Passover. And we discussed this at length. What is the spiritual significance of this chametz that one must get rid of? And we explained that it represents the klipa, negativity within a person, and specifically the negative character trait of yeshus, which means arrogance. In today's lesson, we'll be discussing the spiritual significance of matzah. Matzah is the other side of the coin of chametz. Leavened bread, that's what we're not allowed to eat during Passover. And the mitzvah is to eat matzah unleavened bread. And again, the reason for this is, as it's written in the Chumash, in the Torah itself, that when the Jewish people left Egypt, they were rushed out of Egypt, and there wasn't enough time for the dough to bake properly. And because they took out the dough before the time, it didn't get a chance to rise. And on account of that, and to commemorate that, we and all the generations eat matzah, this kind of bread, that's unleavened, in order to remember the fact that we went out of Egypt eating unleavened bread. However, in the Zohar, which is one of the most basic books of Kabbalah, of mysticism, he says that matzah is called michlo de mehem nusa, food of emuna, food of belief and faith. In other words, that the spiritual significance of matzah is its food which provides the individual that eats it with emunah, with belief in God. How is it that eating matzah can change the person and affect the person spiritually? Well, it means just like on a physical level, we know that eating bread, eating food, gives physical strength to the person. And not only physical strength to the person, but we see it affects all the organs in the body, the intellect as well. Which means if a person, before they eat, their intellectual ability is weaker, and after eating, they can function better on an intellectual level as well. That means that food strengthens the person in all aspects. And today, researchers have found that not only does food have an effect on our physical strength, but it definitely has a tremendous effect on our mental and emotional state. It's very clear now that there are certain foods that can make a person calmer, very clear that there are certain foods that make the person have fears and doubts, and, and so on and so forth. In other words, we see that not only does food contribute to the person's physical strength, but it has an effect on the person's mental and emotional state. And the Torah goes a step further and tells us that there are certain foods that not only affect us mentally and emotionally, but they also affect us spiritually. They have an effect on the soul. And one of those foods is matzah. The matzah that we eat on Passover has an effect on the soul. And in which specific area of the soul does it affect us? Amuna. This strengthens the belief in God that the soul has. And this reinforces that belief. 
And in this, in this lesson, we'll be discussing what is the connection between Pesach, this holiday and this time of the year, and Emunah, and belief. And why specifically the Matzah? If this time of the year is a time where one gets the spiritual strength to have belief in God, how is it connected to eating matter specifically? The answer to this is, we find in the Medrash that the relationship between Hashem, between God and the Jewish people, is compared to the relationship between husband and wife. In fact, the whole book of Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, is describing the relationship and the love that exists between God and the Jewish people, comparing it to that relationship between husband and wife. In fact, in the book of Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, it talks about Yom Chasanasai, which means the day of the wedding, the wedding day. And the Medrash says, when was that wedding day? Zumatan Torah. That's the day that the Torah was given. So the relationship is compared to husband and wife. And the wedding, when that relationship began, that is the day that we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. Which is the holiday of Shavuos. That's when we celebrate our receiving the Torah. That's the time of the year that it happened. In fact, the Zohar also explains that this is the reason why we count seven weeks from Passover until Shavuos. One of the mitzvahs, one of the precepts this time of the year is that every single day we count until we count up 49 days. And on the 50th day, that's when Shavuos comes. And the Zohar explains that just like a woman, in order to be able to be with her husband, she has to count seven days, as it's known, the laws of family purity, where the woman has to count seven clean days in order to be able to be together with her husband. In the same way, the Jewish people also prepared, and they counted seven weeks in order to be able to be united with Hashem on the day of receiving the Torah. And the Medrash says that just like in a marriage, there are two stages. There's one stage which is called Erisin, and there's another stage which is called Nesuin. What is the difference? Technically, Erisin means that's the stage where the husband gives the wife the ring. And that itself establishes a certain status where they're considered married, but not completely married. The second stage is Nesuin, that's where the man and the woman go under the chuppah, under the canopy. And that is the second stage of marriage that completes the marriage. Years ago, these two stages were actually separated by time. The first stage, Avison, where the man would give the woman the ring, where after that took place, then there was a 12-month period until the second stage took place, which was the chuppah. And what was the status uh, of this woman during that time? She was considered married to this man, but not completely married. Which means if she would have relations with another man, it would be considered adultery. But at the same time, she was still not living with her husband as husband and wife until the Nisuin, until the second stage. Only later, in time, the rabbis instituted that both of these stages should come together. And that's why today, when you go to a wedding, you'll see that as they stand under the canopy, that's when the husband gives the wife the ring, and that's when they have the ceremony, which is the chutnesuyin, the chuppah. Both things come together. And the reason for this is, because during this 12-month waiting period, 
the woman is in a spiritual danger zone, so to speak. Because on one hand, she's not married, she doesn't have a husband. On the other hand, her status concerning other men is that if she had relations with other men, it would be considered adultery, just as severe or almost as severe as a married woman. And therefore, years ago, when men and women were spiritually stronger, the rabbis weren't concerned. But as time went on, and people are spiritually weaker than the way they used to be, a precaution had to be taken, and therefore they instituted that both stages should come together, and the woman wouldn't find herself in that waiting period, which is a danger zone, as we explained. So we see from this that in establishing a marriage, a relationship, there are two stages. One is the erosin, the kiddushin, and the second stage where they're considered fully as one family, that is the second stage, chupa nisuin. And therefore the Medrash says that when the Jewish people established their relationship with Hashem, this also took place in two stages. The first stage, which is the erosin, or the kedushin, compared to the giving of the ring, that was when they went out of Egypt. The second stage, which was the actual marriage, that is when they received the Torah at Mount Sinai. So generally speaking, what would be the difference between the first stage and the second stage? Naturally, it means that the first stage, even though the Jewish people left Egypt, and they went away from the Egyptian culture and way of life, detached from that whole environment, they connected to Hashem, they became united with God, but on a level which wasn't complete yet. Fifty days later, when they were standing at Mount Sinai, and God revealed Himself to them and gave them the Torah, that's when that relationship was completed, and they became one. To explain this even further, what is the difference between the first stage and the second stage? So the Medr says that the first stage, the relationship between the Jewish people and Hashem, was based on Amunah was belief. The second stage was an intellectual connection. As it says, which means God is saying that you were married to me through amuna, through belief, through faith. In other words, the first stage, which is the first stage of marriage, the first stage of relationship between the Jews and Hashem was through amuna, belief. But the, the second stage that came 50 days later, when they received the Torah at Mount Sinai. The Torah is wisdom. In other words, here's where they reached the point that the relationship with God was an intellectual connection. And you would compare this to a child that's growing up, that is very connected and attached to his father. But at first, when he's a child, there's definitely a strong connection and a strong attachment, but it's not an intellectual connection. It's just a natural one. As a child gets older and starts to understand who his father is and what it means to him, the connection is deeper and more intellectual. So in a sense, when the Jewish people went out of Egypt, that's when they first began being a nation. Then the connection was just based on Amuna. They hadn't received their Torah yet. Once they received the Torah, then they reached the point of having this connection on an intellectual level. So on the surface, it seems that the connection that's with Amuna, with belief, the first connection, which came when they went out of Egypt, that's weaker. 
And the second stage, when they got the Torah and they were connected on an intellectual level, that's stronger. That's considered higher. But the truth of the matter is that we find the opposite in Torah, that the relationship to God that's connected to Amuna, to belief, is considered greater and deeper than the relationship based on intellect. When you say that a person accepts something and believes something, even though they don't understand it logically, there can be two possibilities. One possibility where this acceptance and belief is lower than logic. In other words, it's because the person is weak and doesn't have enough understanding, and that's why they accept. Like a person who's gullible and believes and accepts everything you tell them. Which means they don't have enough wisdom to distinguish what should be accepted and what shouldn't be accepted. And therefore, they accept everything. That's lower than logic. Then there's an acceptance and a belief that comes from a place which is deeper and beyond logic. And the fact that there's no logic there is because it doesn't need logic. It transcends the world of logic and intellect. It comes from a deeper place. And just like we see, for example, in relationships, there are certain relationships that are based on logic. In fact, most relationships are based on logic, which means there's a reason why I have a feeling and a connection to this person. <coughs> Either because I admire their wisdom, I admire their character traits, I admire their talents, in other words, being that in my mind and in my way of thinking, these are important things, therefore, I'm attracted to this person, I'm connected to this person. So it's based on logic and on intellect. But then we find there's a relationship that has nothing to do with logic. For example, the relationship between parents and children and the love that parents have for children. It's not a, a based, it's not motivated by logic. It's not because the mother feels that the child is smart or the child is cute and that's why she loves her child. It's a natural connection. In other words, this is a connection that doesn't need logic. It's not established by logic because it comes from a place in the, in, in the psyche which is deeper than logic. And the same thing with belief in Hashem. That belief in God is something which comes from a place in the soul which is deeper and beyond logic. So the fact that there's no logic there is not a weakness but it comes from the point that it's, uh, comes from a place that's not limited by logic, and acting from a place that transcends the word logic. So does this mean that according to the Torah there's something wrong with one connecting to God through the intellect and through the logic? And the answer is, of course, not. In fact, one of the greatest mitzvahs, one of the greatest precepts are to study Torah, which means to use and to involve my intellect in my service to God. And in fact, according to the halacha, a person is supposed to utilize their intellect to the fullest capacity. Which means an individual is an intelligent person. A person is a brilliant person. And when he studies Torah, he studies it on a superficial level, that's considered a violation of God's will. Every person is supposed to use their intellectual capacity to the utmost. So, of course, God wants us to use the logic. So, what is it we're saying about belief, that it's beyond logic? And the answer is both things go together. One has to have belief in God, and this belief and this acceptance is something which is beyond logic. And But together with that, there has to be the intellectual involvement as well. How is this possible? And the answer is very simple. Even though a person is supposed to use the intellect 
and is supposed to involve his mind to the to the utmost of his ability. But nevertheless, his connection to Hashem is not based on the intellect. That's not the foundation, and that's not the 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 basis for his connection to God. Because when a person's intellect is the basis for their connection to God, then their connection to God is incomplete, and it's conditional. Because the intellect is limited. And we know that the intellect of a person is very much influenced by their personal interests. That if I have an interest and I want something very much, or I don't want something very much, then subconsciously this will affect my way of thinking. And this will distort my intellectual judgment. That's when people have to decide about something which they're personally involved with. So they ask a third party because they're more objective. And they know that they can't trust their own judgment. The classical example that's given to this is when we think of the Nazis, people who are cultured people, intelligent people, people who claim that their whole life was intellectually oriented, and that these people did things which no one could even imagine that a human being could even think of it. And what brought them to do that? They didn't say that for the next five years, temporarily, we're giving up our culture, we're giving up our high standards, and we're becoming animals. Their intellect dictated to them that this is the right thing to do. This will make a better world. Whatever they did was under the banner of their philosophies. In other words, because they were so full of hate and so full of, 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 of uh, the worst character traits in the world, therefore this affected their mind that intellectually it made sense to them to be, become murderers of men, women, and infants. So, so the same applies to Judaism. That if my Judaism is based on the intellect, purely on the intellect, that's the source of my commitment, then it's going to be conditional because there's no way to go through life without coming up to situations where there'll be a conflict between what is God's wish and my personal interests. And if my whole thing of connection is based on the intellect, then this personal interest will affect my intellect and my true judgment will be distorted, which will lead to doing things against God's will. But if my connection is based on the belief in Hashem, an acceptance which goes to a point that's deeper and beyond intellect, then therefore my commitment is there, unconditional. Then comes the intellect to try to understand and make sense of the things that I accepted, and then a person can grow and go to the deepest depths of intellect, but they won't move away from the right path because it's not based on the intellect, and therefore they accept whether they understand or not. So this means that both things are necessary for a Jew, the belief and acceptance which is beyond intellect, and the intellectual experience. But to always remember that, A, the first thing is the foundation, the basis. That's the belief. And then following that, and based on that, comes the intellect. And this is what happened when the Jews went out of Egypt. The first stage, the first step of growth and development was the belief. That's planting and the, the roots, putting in the foundation. And then on that, 50 days later, came the acceptance of the Torah. Here they were exposed to and introduced to the intellectual experience, the study of Torah. And as an interesting thing pointed out, that in the human body, the head represents the intellect. The feet represent the trait of acceptance, because the feet don't have any intellect, they just follow orders. So we see that the way the body is structured, 
The feet support the head. When you find a person walking on his head, that's unusual. That's in a circus. Everyone claps. It's a big sensation. But the norm is that a person walks on his feet and the feet support the head. In other words, the intellect is supported by the belief. The question, however, is, how is it possible for a person to have belief in Hashem if it's not created by the intellect? I mean, what we do know is that people who are gullible or don't or accept everything and anything, it's because they're not smart enough. It's a weakness. So how is it possible for a person to accept God and have belief in God even though it's not intellectually grasped? And the answer is, this is explained at length in previous lessons, so we'll just go over this briefly now, that it says in the Gemara, you throw maminim b'nei maminim, that every Jew, its natural state is to believe in God. It's part of his nature. It comes with birth. A person who doesn't believe in God is because things in life happen that cover up and conceal and don't let him be his natural way. But the natural state of every Jew is that he has this natural belief in God. How does one have natural belief in God? There are certain things which are natural because it's biological, it's part of the body. This is a spiritual thing. How does one have that naturally? And it says in Chassidus that because the soul has two dimensions to it. One dimension is the part of the soul that descends and enters the body. There's another part of the soul that remains in heaven. It doesn't enter the body. What does that mean? It means there's a certain part of the soul that descends into the body and it changes. In other words, it's no longer as spiritual and as sensitive and as aware and conscious of godliness as it was before it descended to the body. Being that it's inside the body, the body covers up and conceals and desensitizes the neshama, the soul. It's like taking a very bright light and putting it into a black glass case or something that's tinted. So the light will no longer be as bright as it was before. Once the soul goes into the body, then its capacity, its spiritual capacity, is no longer what it was before. Then there's another dimension to the soul, which is the deeper dimension of the soul, and that doesn't go into the body. What does that mean? In other words, it's not affected by the body. That maintains its original level of sensitivity and awareness and consciousness of godliness. That means that just like the soul, before it descended to the body, experienced godliness firsthand. It saw godliness and heard godliness and was directly connected to godliness. And that's what it experiences. That's its level of, of existence. This continues with that part of the soul. There's a part of the soul that nothing changes. It still continues on that level of existence. But the part of the soul that's in the body, that's the part of the soul that there are changes because of the body. So when a person is lacking belief in God, which part of the soul is lacking this belief? It's the part of the soul that we're conscious of. Because it's in the body, and the body conceals the soul. So therefore the soul needs proof that there's God, and the soul has difficulty with it because it's not experiencing godliness in first hand. Its level of existence is in a physical and materialistic world. However, the deeper dimension of the soul, which in Hasidus is called Rosh, the head of the soul, sometimes it's called Yechida, which is one of the name of that dimension of the soul. This Yechida, this head of the soul, that experiences godliness in a very open way. And therefore, 
its connection to God and its acceptance of God is 100% because that's its level of existence, one together with God. And what happens is that this acceptance and this belief and this connection that the soul, the deeper dimension of the soul experiences, that's transmitted to the conscious part of the soul. So therefore, a Jew will naturally experience this feeling of acceptance and belief in God, whether they understand it or not. Where is it coming from? It's coming from a deeper dimension of the soul that is experiencing godliness on a very direct level. However, the question is, if this is the case, then every single area of Judaism should be the same. People should love to keep Shabbos. People should love to observe the laws of Kashas. People should enjoy studying Torah. Everything which is right people should enjoy, everything which is godly people should want, and everything which is not godly they should not want, because there's a deeper dimension of the soul that is godly, and that should be transmitting all its feeling to the conscious part of the soul. So the answer is, obviously there's a difference between belief and everything else. That even though the soul does transmit what it's experiencing to the conscious part of the soul, but there's a possibility of setting up a blockage the things that block this message. In other words, when a person does a sin, anything which is a violation of God's will, something which is not godly, that is like setting up a partition and a wall between the deeper dimension of the soul and the conscious part of the soul. And therefore, even though the deeper dimension of the soul is experiencing it, but that will never reach the conscious part of the soul because of this blockage. And in this, belief is an, ex an exception that belief in God is something which is so powerful that this is transmitted and penetrates through this blockage to the conscious part of the soul. But then you might ask, if that's the case, then why doesn't every single Jew have belief in God? Why are there people that don't have belief in God? So obviously, there are situations that if a person does enough things which are negative and enough things which are violations of God's will, so therefore, the blockage is so strong and so thick and so heavy that even that Belief in God, which normally penetrates the blockage, in this case couldn't penetrate, and the person remains without the belief in God. And this is where matzah comes in. That on the night of Passover, this is the day of the year that God gives us the strength to have emunah, belief. And how is this emunah transmitted through the matzah? In other words, by eating this matzah, what does it accomplish? It makes a stronger connection between the deeper dimension of the soul and the conscious part of the soul, that the belief in God and the acceptance of Hashem, that the deeper dimension of the soul experiences, should be transmitted to the conscious part of the soul without being blocked. This is why we find also that physically, the difference between chametz, leavened bread, and matzah, unleavened bread, is that leavened bread has some taste to it, there's some flavor to it. But matzah, unleavened bread, has no flavor. In other words, when one serves God with the intellect, there's some flavor to it. In other words, I, because I understand what I'm doing, there's a certain pleasure there. But when a person accepts God, and intellectually they might not understand, but they're just doing it because they're accepting, then that's something which is, symbolically speaking, without flavor. It doesn't have that pleasure. One might ask, how does this connect to what we explained before in the previous lesson, that chametz, leavened bread, represents arrogance, and a person's into his ego. Matzah represents humbleness. One is able to transcend his ego. And the answer is, it's one and the same thing. The intellect, that is me. When I say that I have an ego and I want things my way, 
where does it all begin and what is the source of it all? It's my intellect, the way I understand, the way things make sense to me, what I understand is right. That's what constitutes me. When a person is able to transcend their intellect, that means they're able to transcend their ego. They're able to connect to something which is above them. Because as long as it makes sense, and I understand that it makes sense to me, then it's me. It's all coming from me. But if I'm doing something which is above my intellect, that means accepting something which is beyond me. So a person who feels any kind of weakness and belief in God will be waiting impatiently all year round for the holiday of Passover. And specifically by eating the matzah. That will help him develop and receive this new additional spiritual strength to have belief in God because the connection between the deeper dimension of the soul and the conscious part of the soul will be stronger and, will, and all the things that block will be penetrated for that person to have true belief in Hashem. Some of the points in this lesson were explained at length in the previous lesson, lesson number 40, and in the holiday series, the lesson of Purim concerning doubts. 